0: This is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leek. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of Existential Podcast. And I'm grateful for all of you who are listening to this grateful for all of you who have been on this journey with us today. We have uh, author of the book, Let's Talk About Race and Other Hard Things. Dr. Nancy Dome, is with us today. Um, And I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, uh, Nancy, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us about this book and just what it means to talk about race and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, I'm really, really, really interested in, in, in getting into this conversation. But before I do that, why don't you just Introduce yourself, tell us, uh, uh, tell the audience uh, who, who don't know you, um, or maybe they do, uh, just a little bit about you, what you're up to, what your work is, and stuff like that.
1: No, no problem. So um, I uh, am a CEO and co founder of Epic Education, which is uh, basically a a uh, consultancy that works with um, businesses to figure out how to have effective communication. And our focus is the DE&I space and belonging. We really want to talk about equity and um, and what that looks like manifested. And, um, and then I have a kind of a separate Dr. Nancy Dome brand that really focuses on more of you know, keynoting and my book, you know, let's talk about race, promoting that. And then also some like personal work that can be done. Like, I love the coaching aspect and, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to support people on their journey if they're, if they're ready for it. So that's the work that I do now. um, And it is a full-time job, as you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I know that DE&I is um, one of those topics that is I don't want to say polarizing because I don't think there's anyone that doesn't believe it's necessary work. I think there is some um, discussion about the effectiveness mm-hmm. of it when it comes to corporate spaces. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if uh, I'm sure you know that, like, since George Floyd, there's yeah. like this massive increase of people being interested in DEI, mm-hmm. uh, corporations hiring DEI consultants. Tapping people on the shoulder to be their diversity officer who already worked there, like yeah. what has been your experience with um, having these DEI conversations with corporations that may not have otherwise had this on their radar?
1: So, I mean, I think that ex- people want to have the conversation; they don't know how. So, I think that's mm. kind of the biggest thing. And then when I when I think about what's happening because they don't know how, uh, it's it's becoming a very Surfacey endeavor. So, you know, after George Floyd, you saw like, I don't know how many, I was surprised like a bra company, different companies that, like literally, you know, like, and it was great. They, they, they you know, they did this beauty. I saved all these letters about the, their new mission statements and their commitment statements, not mission statements, but commitment mm. statements about mm. what they committed to do. And they recognize that their you know, their uh, board of directors is all white and they need to diversify and all these things. And my question, like, it was amazing. And, you know, once the, the kind of hype of it all was over, my question is what are you doing now? Like, what mm. are you doing a year later? You know, and what and what have you seen? So LinkedIn saw a 70 percent increase in um, uh, C-suite level positions for diversity coordinators after that. And what we saw was this huge 70 percent. Right. they wow. and, and, and there's articles on LinkedIn about it, because before that, nobody was looking at that position, you know, only progressive companies who really were trying yeah. to make change. And then yeah. after you have this jump and, you know, that tap on the shoulder you were talking about was usually a tap on the shoulder of a person of color. But they're being tapped in the shoulder without really get being given the resources to make anything happen. So I'm just mm-hmm. shifting your job title, and I'm going to make you the DEI coordinator, director. You know, you're you're making six figures, and you've got to maybe um, you know uh, uh, someone to support you. But there's not really resources put behind any real change, and there's mm-hmm. no one saying that. Okay, I want I want everyone to go through an equity training say at the company, but there is no mm. one supporting you and making that happen. And so you right. end up really um, in some ways positioning people who had good roles already into positions where they're now being vilified for mm. the work that they're trying to do. Like we're forcing people to have this race conversation and we need to get over it and it, you know it's mm. no longer necessary. And so mm. I think that is the criticism and it's my criticism too. Um, my criticism of the work. And so when people go in there and now, you know, I've been doing this work for 30 plus years and, and wow. now I'm looking online at, you know, if, and I could have done a search and I have, as I started my business for people who, you know, who, who is, and I put quotes, you can't see them, but who's my competition. Cause I don't think there's any competition. I think there's mm. plenty of work. There's plenty of stuff there. There could be a million of of businesses who do what I do, and it still would not be enough to rectify Mm. the damage that has been done in this country. Right. Mm. Um, So I I don't believe in competition, but I did want to know what people were doing because I wanted to know where my niche was and how I fit in. And there wasn't a lot. Now you look and everyone's, you know, trying to get into this space and everyone's trying to figure it out. And what I think is ironic is I've actually been contacted by people who want me to tell them how I did it, and I'm like, but it's kind of a bandwagon, and and it's not mm. that I don't want to share because if you want to do it, do it, but do it authentically. Don't do it because yes. this is a cash cow right now, you know. Mm. And and for all of us who you know who who someone's complaining about my rate, which is less than what other people make, you know, but you don't want to pay me because you don't value this work. And so for me, my biggest challenge in starting this business was valuing myself enough mm. to say. That you know what? No, I'm not going to do this for uh, you know a hundred dollars. I'm not going to do this for yeah. you know, um, you know, a six hour session for five hundred dollars. Who else? What other consultant comes in and does six yeah. hours for that kind of price? Right. And so mm. it really is about me finding my value and people understanding that, that the work that we do, we're experts in this. It's just like you don't ask a doctor can I have a discount, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You've only, you're only in your fourth year of being an active MD. So can, you know, so you don't need to get $10,000 for that surgery. That surgery can cost us 2000 because you're not a 10 year, you know, 10 year surgeon, you know, it's, it's that kind of respect. And I think that the respect starts first with us. It's us saying, and I know that there's that desperate place. Like when I started my business, I literally quit my job without um, much money in my savings And not Mm. really sure where um, where I was where the money was going to come from, but I had Mm. faith um, Mm. that I knew that it was my calling. Because when I quit my job, I I swear and I don't use that lightly that like the sky opened up and angels sang, and Mm. they were like
0: (laughs) it was like a an
1: internal celebration that said you have just made the right decision, and I knew it so very clearly that I did what I needed to do.
0: It is so powerful. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of what a few episodes ago, uh, Dr. Christina Cleveland referenced in Leaving the Plantation. Yeah. When you uh, feel like there's something greater um, compelling me, drawing me out of this comfortable zone I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a guaranteed paycheck. I have um, yeah. people like me, <laughs> you know, like... And I I think when I heard you talking just now, I thought about this thought I've had for some time that sometimes it seems like the people who care the most about a thing are criticized the most because there are practitioners in the field who don't care as much. So they're not willing to actually say the things or do the things that actually bring change Mm-hmm. They're only, as you said, bandwagon. This mm-hmm. is a cash cow, so mm-hmm. they're like, "Don't mess up this cash cow. Don't, mm-hmm. don't like mess up our opportunity to make money by actually asking for real change mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. place." And yes. one of the things that that I find happen that you kind of just described that I find happening in this space, especially the DEI space. Speaking of corporate America, is that when the rubber meets the road and it's time for resources it's time for hiring, it's time for promotions, it's time for uh, dismantling and reorganizing leadership, That that's where you become a problem and you're asking for too much.
1: That's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I think that is the case most of the time. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I say most of the time because, um, in order for real change to happen, there has to be compromise and sacrifice. And um, people in power don't really want to have that happen, right? They don't really want to sacrifice anything. They want to have it on. So, you know, to have someone who comes into an organization and says that they're going to do this DE&I work and not really hold them accountable, so I'm just going to do this very surface level training, then everyone gets to check the box. Right, You made me feel good because now I can say, look, we've done this training and you can't no, no longer hold me accountable, but it doesn't lead to real change. And so um, and what what we're trying to do at Epic and what I'm trying to do with um, Dr. Nancy Dome is is sincerely real change. So we our work is systemic and we we want to talk to every stakeholder in there because the only way change is going to happen is if you do that. And this whole yeah. like trickle down well we're going to we're going to just talk to the admin it's like you know what honestly i want to talk to the students because the students mm. are going to hold you accountable mm. right if you're talking mm-hmm. about education and if you're talking about corporations doing that training at that higher level it you know it may impact some people's practice i do believe that you know people do learn and get something but at the end of the day and unless everyone's speaking the same language it's hard to have any real sustainable change and yeah. and so we we need to everyone all stakeholders. So, you know, if you're in retail, you know, it's got to be the person who's in that the front line, who's doing that customer service all the way to the managers and then all the way up to, you know, your, your CEOs and, and C-suite people.
0: Yeah. Now, now you don't have to name names or like, you know, speak to specific <laughs> uh, you know clients, but where have you seen progress? You know, I, I, I think that it's important that we recognize that though there's a long way to go, there is some progress that happens. So mm-hmm. what does progress look like? Um, where have you seen it? And like, you know, could you speak to speak to that?
1: Yeah, you know, um, so I I do have, well, we have a a lot of clients that have done some tremendous things. But where I see progress is when um, it looks like initiative, right? It looks Mm -hmm. like instead of me telling you what you need to do, it's you coming to me and saying, hey, I got an idea. Like, the, oh, and, wow. and because you know, your you know, your community, you know, your employees, you know. And so everything I do is, is, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best guess at what, what it can look like in the future, but you know, your programming. And so when you come to me and you say, I have an idea, or you put something in motion, that's how I know it's changing because you're thinking different. That's how I know that equity lens is on because now everything that you're, you know, your hiring process, your promotion process, your retention process, all that is going through this lens of equity and you're committed to it. And so you're coming out with ideas to maybe the ideas, you know, how do we diversify our work staff and also make sure that our our white you know staff feel comfortable and safe because we Mm -hmm. don't we don't want to do one or the other. And I think that's really the push, right? Is that you know, white folks in and these positions feel like, well, if we diversify the staff, that means that that I don't have a job anymore. Instead of realizing mm. that 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 that's part of the sacrifice, right? It's not about not having the job, but the sacrifice is understanding that you've never had to com- compete against the entire population mm. of this country ever. Mm. Mm. And so now that mm. we. Have if we're truly leveling the playing field, that 500 people that you used to compete against is now 5,000 people because now we've opened the door for other people to be a part of it, and that mm. that is and that's the mindset that has to shift is that it isn't yours, it's mm. ours. Wow. Right?
0: Yeah, man, is so good, so so good. Now the book is is entitled. Um, let's talk about race and other hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I want to pose a question to you from chapter two. Uh, okay. w- and where you ask, where does compassionate dialogue come from? Where mm-hmm. does it come from? Compassionate dialogue. Where, where yeah. does that come from?
1: So when the, when I first started with the, with the protocol, it, was, it started with the RIR, with the Recognize, Interrupt, and Repair. And what I realized is that, If you didn't have compassion, it's just another dialogue. So let me give you an example. I can recognize that um, my feelings are hurt by what you said. I can interrupt by telling you that you're a jerk. And I can repair by ghosting you, right? Mm. I've just followed the RIR. Mm. I've recognized my feelings. I interrupted and I repaired with an action. So compassion is what shifts that, right? Compassion says, I recognize and I'm angry and you hurt my feelings same thing but my interrupt is really to seek to understand what is your motive behind it are you trying to hurt me or is it like like is it something that is a byproduct and so if i'm seeking to understand you and your perspective and your experience in exchange for you understanding mine then the repair may still be that we you know don't have much but the dialogue is completely different and you know compassionate dialogue is about self-care. And so really by having the conversations that way, I'm actually taking care of my spirit and my body. Because mm. when we are in angst, when we're in anger, when we're in, when we're battling, when we're in fight and flight, even the physiology of our body, mm. it, it begins to poison us if we stay in that space too long. So if I'm carrying all that wow. frustration and anger, then I'm actually making myself sick. Right, so by mm. by my ability to engage with you and to share my feelings and my perspective, I'm actually taking care of myself. And what I say in the book, and I say all the time, is that the only reason we talk about people is because we don't talk to them. And so, wow. if you and I have an issue, and I can say, "Hey, Corey, you know what? What you said was hurtful," you know, and we we have this dialogue. At the end, you and I may not be talking, but it's so different because then I can let it go, and then it's not mm. in my body causing. You
0: know, damage Ooh. in my body. Wow, that is so so rich, and I hadn't even considered. Um, I know that you know I've had several guests reference the book "The Body Keeps Score" and, and understanding mm. oh, yeah. how this works with our bodies and 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 our emotions and the anxiety and depression and, and some of the mental health crisis that comes from yes. this very conversation, especially when you're a person of color. Uh, and I'm I'm curious. Because I sometimes am triggered by the notion of reconciliation because the notion of reconciliation that I've seen presented so often to black folks, especially is white leaders saying, come to the table and trust us before before those white leaders offer any sort of reparation, any sort of make good on the harm that's been caused. It's like, hey, trust us and come sit down with us. And we're like, dude, we got a history of being around y'all. And it's yeah. caused us nothing but harm. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. so I heard you on another podcast talk about the answer not being a separating and dividing and going our mm-hmm. separate ways. Um, for Black folks that have been harmed, how do we make our way to the table to have this difficult conversation with people whom we don't trust?
1: Yeah that's real um so i i want to answer it in two stages so when when i think about the reconciliation piece i think about what canada has has done i think about what germany has done to reconcile right and i mm-hmm. i agree i think the action has to first the good faith motion has to happen so that i know that i can tr- that you're sincere about mm. this, right? And so that, I think your kind of issue um, with reconciliation is my issue too, is this idea that we have to show up and give more and mm. as if it's our problem. And this mm. is also my inherent issue with um, this notion of allyship as the goal as opposed to a starting level. I think of allyship as entry level. That that wow. That means you get it. Yeah, yeah. great. But I think the next level is that co-conspirator level, which means that mm-hmm. you recognize that this isn't my problem that you're going to help me solve. Okay. It is our problem to solve together. And it will yeah. take all of our thinking and all of our compromise and all of our sacrifices together to get to a point where we all feel um, resolved right on this. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um you know that that's my biggest that's my biggest piece um, is really understanding that that uh, that white folks have to show their efforts first, and then for for black folks and and not just black folks, but you know our our indigenous population. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I'm very I become much more conscious of it because now I live on a reservation, literally live on a reservation, and mm. and looking at the divide of of the indigenous people and my community. Um, and and seeing like we're on your land and there's no exchange because the community disrespected the tribe and the tribe was like, you know, the hell with you. Um, mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. in, in this place of like, what does it really look like for us to show up and give something so that we can show that we authentically want to be in relationship. So for folks that have been harmed, um, it really is, you know, I think that the way we can show up if we're in that place of harm is to actually put out something about what we need. These are the steps that mm. I need to to show mm. me that I am safe to come to the table. So mm. I'm gonna, and we have to, someone's gotta give something, right? And so um, if, if if I think that there's a possibility of real change, I'm gonna give you a list of things that you need to show me first before I'm even willing to walk through that door. And I think wow. if we could think about what those things were, that that that's a way to keep us safe, whether, whether it's physical, Safety or just emotional safety, which a lot of it is emotional safety, um, to Mm -hmm. say you know I'm not even going to talk to you until you do these things. This will let me. These are the the indicators that will let me know that you're serious.
0: That is so brilliant because it's not oftentimes those things that we need for our emotional safety might be uh, understood as demands. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like and and can be uh, demonized. Mm-hmm. But when you frame it that way, as this is what I need to be able to have, to feel, to have a sense of the psychological safety that's necessary for me as a human being, Yeah. For, let's let's just even forget that it's people of color or mm-hmm. women or people with disabilities or indigenous folks, any human being, there are things yeah. that I need from you to right. help me feel the psychological safety that says this is a safe person to engage with. Yes. On any level, let alone on a level that can be as traumatizing as having people of color discuss race Mm
1: -hmm.
0: with people who are descendants of 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 white folks who have traditionally and violently been the oppressors. Yes. You know, like that. so, So it's a reasonable beyond reasonable request for me to say, hey, here are some things that I'd like to see. Right that helped me feel safe before I sit down and have a reconciliation <laughs> conversation yeah, with
1: you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the first step to reconciliation, you know, people hear that in their, you know, or reparations, you know, I had someone um, who um, is a friend who when I talked about it was really, you know, we had a very powerful compassion dialogue about it, but she was really against this idea that she's like, I didn't do anything. And I think that, that, that mentality of it wasn't me is part of what gets in our way. And, um and the, the reparate reparations um, should be part of them should be financial, like the res- restoration of, you know, the black wall street and all those folks who lost mm-hmm. all that wealth. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Or we mm-hmm. saw, we saw a real case happen where I think it was Huntington beach, California, where. They, there was a beachfront property that was like a park that had been taken by the city from a black family and they finally gave it back to the black family. Wow. Um, and this was last year. I wanna say Huntington Beach, Redondo Beach, but that area. Um, but, you know, so that kind of, you know, it, it's not even, you know, everyone's thinking like, you're going to take what's mine. It's like, but before it was yours, it was, wow. you know
0: yeah. it was exactly. ours. And, so,
1: exactly. and, and the reason you have yours is because my family built yours, you yes. know? And so yes. so had, again, if we can move away from the sense of lack that there's not enough and somehow I'm depriving you of something and really look at, you know, what, what would our communities look like if there wasn't lack, if there wasn't, um, if, if people weren't so desperate, you know, just to survive. Um, th- this is a little tangent, if you don't mind, but I, I watched um, an episode of Queer Eye um, last mm. night. I'm, I'm addicted, I'm addicted to these, the Fab Five, I really am, <laughs> um, they, they're impacting my life in so many ways. Um, but there was an episode where a former um, gang banger, um, got shot and uh, he was paralyzed and kind of, and now he's got this um, organization and one of the things, and I I still have chills thinking about it. One of the things that um, Karamo did was actually bring the person who shot him and bring them together. And I tell you, there was a wow. moment because I saw it unfolding and I'm like, Oh, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Like I love this reality TV um I hate reality tv but I love mm-hmm. this because they're doing good. not only are they um destigmatizing um what it is to be gay and um and our fears about homosexuality but they're also making real change and doing real good in communities mm. right mm. and so but I was I was like there was a moment of like this is maybe too far like bringing these yeah. two together the healing that like the two of these two black men sitting across from each other. And they're both like, you. this guy was all happy in the minute he said where he was taking them, his whole body, you saw it just transform. Mm. Like, I'm gonna Mm. come face to face with the person who put me in this chair. And Mm. the conversation that ensued Mm. was this conversation of like him explaining why he shot him. And then this other guy just talking about, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I was going to be dead. The fact that I'm not dead is a gift and you gave me a purpose that I didn't have before in the work that he's doing. And, and like, for me, I'm like, well, how many, like we fight, you know, they talk about us fighting and killing each other, but they don't talk about the why. Um, and how we ended up in this place in the first place. And that kind of healing, imagine if that could happen and imagine if our black boys didn't have to grow up to be these black men who felt that their only way out was to, to carry guns and to uh, mm. cause harm.
0: Yeah, man. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a difficult conversation that I can't Mm -hmm. even imagine, you know, why'd you shoot me? (laughs) Like, who who has that kind of conversation? So how do you, um, you know, as the author of a book about having conversations about race and other hard things, like, how do you um, recommend people begin to engage in these conversations that they may have otherwise been too afraid to start?
1: Yeah, you know, it is. It's a level of risk taking, but it's also asking that um, we show up, being willing to be vulnerable. And I think that that seems contradictory to what we would imagine. That if you've hurt me, then why would I kind of bare my neck to you, and and give you a go? But again, if we if we think about these conversations as a form of self care the me being able to release this from my body and say what i need to to you without any expectation that you're going to get it that you're going to apologize that you're going to change your mind but just for me to express myself and to do it from a place of love and compassion and um and it, and i think that's probably the most powerful piece is that when we come from love we can't help but heal mm. like i'm i'm clear on that and mm. when we come from fear we can't hurt help but hurt And so if I'm, if I'm going to have a compassionate dialogue with you, I've got to be willing to come from a place of love that allows me to be vulnerable and say, Hey, this is the impact of what you said had to me. And if your response is, I don't really give a shit, Mm. then I'm okay with that. And I'm like, okay, my question might be, well, why don't you give a shit? Mm. And then you, but then I become very clear in here who you are. So my repair is okay. I've done what I did. I've let them know the impact and they still don't give a shit. You know, we don't have to engage anymore, but it's so much better to just let it go than for me to sit up here and stew on this and and just mm-hmm. be so mad at you all the time because we don't, you know, I want you, so here's a little experiment, Corey. I want you mm-hmm. to think about something that that is unresolved for you, like something mm-hmm. um, that hurt you or something that, that has no closure. You got it. Mm-hmm. Just tell me when it happened. When did it occur?
0: Um, 2018.
1: Okay, how many years ago was that? Four. Right, and you're still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you can let that go, if there was resolution, it would not be the first thing that came up for you.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. If I got so many questions back now.
1: Decades, they can go decades back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, what we understand about trauma is that something mm-hmm. in the present shows up that reminds us of the past and we are actually reacting to the past thing as if it's in the present, right? right? So that, gosh, so many questions. Does that <laughs> thing, are you suggesting that thing can go away? Yeah. or that that thing no longer it is no longer such a heavy burden.
1: Yes, it's no longer such a heavy burden, right? It's okay. a burden that we can begin to let go of. Right? So, mm-hmm. I think about so my mom left when we were 11 and um there was a lot of anger. Um because she was, you know, in my mind she's in Europe living her life, right? She's she's got five kids, she was 34 she left. You know, and she's got her story and I'm not, and I love my mom. So I want to be clear, but there, I was angry for a long time and, um, and it impacted decisions that I made. And there was some outgrowth of, of her leaving at 11 that really impacted you know, I became a like a compulsive liar. I mean, there's just things that having to grow up and lie all the time that I just became a liar all the time. Like I, <laughs> I no longer needed to lie, but it was just such a habit to kind of yeah, do just, it. Yeah, right? what
0: I do. I just lie. Um,
1: I just lie. But, and, you know, and it was always <laughs> lying for a, a, a purpose to get me something I wanted because mm-hmm. I didn't think that the truth would get me it or whatever. And um, being able to, I, I went and I studied abroad so that I could be closer to my mom. And we had some hard, hard, hard conversations. But being able to have those conversations allowed me to let go of all the hurt that then no longer I had to carry and allow me to, to do that. And And, you know, th- I think the difference with that scenario, though, is that it's my mom's, right? So mom wants to heal with me in this case. But there are going to be people who you who may be dead, right? Who you may not have access mm-hmm. to. So you have to do the work on your own. You, mm-hmm. you have to heal yourself. Um, we cannot expect other people to heal us. Mm-hmm. And so I can still do the protocol on an intrapersonal level. And if my mom were not with us, and thank God she is, but if she were not, I could still do this healing and really get to the point of, 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 Seeing, you know, sw- switching the narrative from this, from this thing that causes me trauma to switching the narrative to this thing that gave me an opportunity to grow.
0: So what, what I'm hearing you say, um, at least in part, is that this race conversation or any difficult conversation, but if we just zero in on race conversation, is one that is about healing. And at a certain level, could be about an individual healing and not necessarily Only about there being some kumbaya moment. Because as I heard you describe a few moments ago, you may have this conversation with someone who walks away still not giving a shit. Yeah. In which case you go, I'm releasing this from my body. Mm -hmm. And you've confirmed what I'm perhaps you've confirmed what I was afraid of. I was afraid you didn't really give a shit. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: therefore afraid to have the conversation with you and and to find out that's actually true. But yeah. there is a part of this that's confronting that even if they don't give a shit, I can still heal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because because you're still in the not knowing. Because you're still in that hope. The, even what you said, like I, like the reason you don't have it is because you think they don't give a shit. But really what you're saying is that you hope they do. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's mm. that's the other side of that coin. So when you find out for real that they don't, then you can let go of that hope. Mm and then you can let
0: go of that person. Wow. I have never uh heard let go of hope as a way of healing, but yeah. it makes total sense in this regard. Yeah. Yeah. That like there is a hope that it is painful. Yeah. to hold on to. Yeah. And yeah. to come to a place where you're like I actually have a friend of mine who will reference this. He's he's referenced a couple of times lowering the bar um, for certain individuals that continue to cause harm so that I'm not constantly living in this place of frustration that there's something that they're not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that expectation piece. I mean, the expectation is 100 percent going to kick us in the rear because I have an expectation that you're gonna show up differently than you do. And yet every time you show up the way that you do, which disappoints me over and over and over again. So your friend, that notion of lowering the bar means I, I actually need to expect you to show up that way. Mm-hmm. And then I get to choose whether or not I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So you see how that's empowering? That's, that's yeah. me controlling my own, my destiny, my path, who I'm in relationship with, who I'm not, as opposed to it just kind of I don't want to say it's not the other person controlling in some ways it is, but it's also just kind of this, I don't know, I'm looking for that word, but it's just this thing that just is floating around, but there's no real there's 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 no real true understanding about it. And so, mm-hmm. um the 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 letting go, lowering the bar. Um, releasing our expectations that people will change. Like I, 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 I still want people to change. So I won't say that I don't have any expect change expectations, right, right, but right. Um, they're very. That bar for me is very low. So when you do change, I'm like, hey, how? Ha- <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, Whoa, that you know? Like, and so I. But it also makes the joy much more joyous too when that bar is low. And I don't yeah. expect you to do anything about it. When you do do something, then I that joy is exponential,
0: right? Yeah. When I approach this from a standpoint of love, I'm first loving myself. I think. Yes. Um, loving myself yes. enough to have the courage to engage in a conversation that could potentially be uh, painful. Yes. But also knowing that that is me releasing um, yeah. things that are literally poisonous to my body. Yes. You know. What what do you say to the person, um, let's say they're in a situation with their job? They go to work every day and they don't feel like they can bring their full selves. I, I had um, a person text me and say, "I don't feel, um, I don't feel good being black here." Yeah. Right? To that person who goes to work every day that doesn't have an outlet for any sort of conversation, and I don't expect there's a a, a really great answer for this, but just if you could speak to it as best you yeah. could, what does that person do? How do they cope?
1: Yeah. So there's two strategies. One is find your network of people who you can. So I literally have a text me- message stream that's been going on for almost 10 years hmm. and it's all black ladies. You know, we're all like lawyers, uh, educators, just all walks of life. Um, And, um, and, we basically talk shit in the text. It's our outlet. We
0: (laughs) just
1: like, well, you know, like we are saying things that I can't say on the radio. (laughs) I can't say it. And, and we laugh and we, and it's a safe, but also when we have real issues or real things, we also bring it to the table. So it's not just, it's not just about Mm. that, but it's, I guess the, the, the bigger picture is we just get to show up unfiltered. Um, Mm -hmm. And I get to have that because, you know, the thing about the protocol and compassionate dialogue is I think folks think like somehow they become angelic and it's not that like I'm still pissed. I'm still angry. I still want to slap you like all those Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exist. Mm -hmm. And I choose to ride that wave acknowledge my feelings so there's there's a book i read it was called the way of the peaceful warrior dan millman old 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 book but one of the things um that it's that in the scene that he watches his building burn down and he loses his mind he's screaming and then at the end he gets up and walk and dan looks at him like what just happened he goes man you got to let it flow and then you got to let it go Mm -hmm. and that's so we have to feel those things and we have to have an outlet like they're not going to go away just because I'm trying to be compassionate doesn't mean I'm not pissed doesn't mean that I I don't want to you know cause harm or throw something at my sister right but what it but what it does mean is that the way I'm going to choose to engage is not going to be that so that network of people that you can be you truly you and that I can text at any time and I know it in some time zone someone's going to get back to me that's one way right is that mm-hmm. you got to have you got to it's it's like you know, you got to have your, your, your church, your, your mm-hmm, community, mm-hmm, your, mm-hmm. your people who just allow you to be you. The second thing is you need to be looking for another job. And,
0: <laughs> well, Facts for sure.
1: What, what for else? Sure. Right. What, yeah. And, and, and I know, you know, um, you know, one of my saddest realizations in my life was <laughs> when I realized that. One of the reasons I didn't have kids was because I was afraid of having a black boy, mm. and I was afraid of having a black boy because I didn't feel that I could protect a black boy. Because my 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 family, we're boy makers. Out of sixteen um, nieces and nephews, only three are girls, and so and and this realization, Corey, happened for me in a training with two hundred people that were mostly white when someone asked me that question. And so, um, but what it's done is it gave me the freedom to impact the lives of all other black boys that I can. And that freedom means that I will not be in a place that does not honor me and does mm. not allow me to show up fully. I can't do my spirit can't do it. I can't. Mm. So if I, for the sacrifice that I feel like I made in my life, by not having kids, because I would have been a great ass mom. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 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 Is is, but it's given me the freedom to say that I leave. So I understand that not everyone has that freedom, and and not nor should everyone make that choice. But staying in a toxic environment without having like, when, like while you're in this toxic environment, you got to start asking questions. You got to start. Um, trying to find other employment, and you got to find a place where you are. And I do believe, and maybe you know, I'm a 54 year old, 55 now, naive person, but I do, I have a very strong faith, mm. and which has worked for me. So I know mm-hmm. it hasn't worked for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 that's even weird when you talk about faith not working for everybody. But that's a whole different conversation. But. <laughs> my belief is that um that when i'm when i'm in my when i'm walking my path when mm-hmm. i'm doing the work i'm i know that i have been put on this earth to do mm. that god takes care of me mm. yes and that is that has been my experience um
0: yes that's been a theme this season uh, of the podcast that god takes care of us when we decide to live um, on purpose. Yes. Right. Decide to live from a a, a place of genuine love for like, again, I come back to this love for ourselves and also love for others. But when I start to do that, um, there's something beautiful that I think happens. And, and I think that's what you're describing. I, I, I know that there are people listening to this. I have friends who um, feel like kind of trapped, but to just figured out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should ever stop um, admonishing people to follow the still small voice into what could be a wilderness for a season or forever even, mm-hmm. yeah. because that's better than taking in poison every single day right. in, in environments that are crushing our humanity.
1: Yeah absolutely and and that's actually why i left my job prior to starting this company and that job was a gift because i would have never um started a business had i not had that experience but i also realized mm-hmm. that it was toxic to me and um when i quit when the when the skies opened up and everything um <laughs> i hadn't pl- i hadn't planned on it it you know mm-hmm. i was just asked did i want to put something on the agenda and i said yes it, and like literally spirit just talked to me and and mm-hmm. they said what do you want to put on it and i'm like I'm not reapplying for my job. Mm. And um, and there was a shock. And then it was like, Well, I guess we need to start there. And I'm like, Yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good place to start. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because but I didn't know I was gonna say it. But um, but the the immediate validation was that of like I hadn't been that happy in making that decision. And literally, I could have lost my house. E- I mean. It, it was one of those things where I called my sister after I was done. And I'm like, you may be getting a roommate um, depending on like next steps, because, you know, I've got a 401k, which I ended up having to pull all my money from and liquidate so that I could uh, live to start this business. Mm-hmm. But I had mm-hmm. no plan, um, but I had trust. I had, and I had, I had, I had faith that mm-hmm. it, I, when that happens to you, you know, you're you're doing the right thing and I could have lost my house but my also philosophy is I've been poor we grew up on food stamps you know Mm -hmm. I was a a vegetarian because we didn't get you know not because I wanted to but because we couldn't afford meat in the house so Mm -hmm. this idea of being poor and I already felt like I was poor I felt like Mm -hmm. you know I'm in this house but I'm I'm struggling to pay my bills because I'm working in a system that is never intended for me to get ahead
0: come on yeah And that kind of detachment uh, that there's a quote from Gandhi that I I just referenced this past weekend at a speaking event um, where Gandhi says, I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically um, about passionate success is having a detachment. That's Mm -hmm. how you uh, achieve success is being detached from the things that are designed to enslave us to the status quo and to injustice. Well, we just mm-hmm. go. Well, I gotta put, keep my head down, and do this thing. But the freedom that you have when you can say, "I've been poor," mm-hmm. this calling is greater. You know, mm-hmm. is that's a freedom that like no yeah. emperor, no empire can can take from you because yes. it's a it's, that's a freedom that goes. I don't actually need you. Yeah, I can I can speak the truth in love because I don't need you. Yeah, because I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah. I, I've got I've got God. I've got faith. I've got I've got the ancestors. I've got I've got everything I need mm-hmm. to to do this work that needs to be done. So yes. Nancy, thank you so much for um, taking the time. This has been amazing. I, I like, I could keep talking to you forever. I appreciate <laughs> everything that you said. It's so rich, so great. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Corey. It was absolutely my pleasure.
0: Now, where can uh, folks get the book? Um, you know, where, where where can they go buy it? Where can they stay in touch with you?
1: Yeah, um, stay in touch with me at drnancydome.com. Uh, um, all my information is there. And the book is Barnes & Noble, Amazon. I mean, um, you can even ask your local um, bookstore if you want to support local businesses, which I think is great. Um, and they can order it in for you. So it is um, it is a print on demand. So um, anyone can get it if they want to get it.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Folks, that was Dr. Uh, Nancy Dome, And I hope you enjoyed that conversation mm-hmm. half as much as I did because it was amazing thank you for listening to this podcast thank you for subscribing to it for rating and reviewing it for sharing it with people share this episode with your boss with your co-workers i think it's something that um, people need to hear thank you to the patreon community so appreciate you and thank you to all of you for helping us to contend for a better world one conversation at a time